Okay, hello everybody. Uh, it's Fixed Astro Podcast, and we are back with another iteration of our Deccan series. This time, we're doing it in honor of Cancer season, which just started like at the beginning of this week. Uh, happy Solstice! Uh, I consider this astrological New Year. Like, forget Aries season, but I don't know how you feel about that, pal. <laughs> do agree and i did um definitely have it in my notes for today's episode to talk about that um as we talk about the cancer archetype but um yes we are talking about the cancer decans today but before we jump into it we wanted to first check in and discuss what the current astro weather is like yeah (laughs) this um like kyle and i were talking before our show and this mercury retrograde like okay mercury retrograde in domicile was surprisingly smooth once mercury like was moving in a direction but like the stations were so chaotic yeah like for me yeah the stations for me were definitely a lot of just classic mercury retrograde fails like a lot of technology breakdowns we, you know, I work for a labor union, and so um, I think I tweeted about this because we were having issues with some of the software that we used to do, like canvassing and door knocking work. We have two different programs; both were failing. We were already out in the field, and like I texted um. my coworker about it, and he was like, "What's?" He knows I'm an astrologer, so he was like, "What's happening with the cosmic alignment?" Starting the station. No, I had a similar thing. So, like, one of my lab mates knows I'm super into astrology. And she was like, is Mars retrograde? Because, like, I had a lot of tech not working. I was like, no, Mercury's stationing direct. Like, if you are trying to use, like, a software to do animal behavior work and it's not working, even though you keep calibrating it, that's probably why. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There was just also lots of, like classic like lab snafu things like um like electrode things not working so we could run gels um the freezer that's supposed to keep things like really cold is like fluctuating in temperature and then all of a sudden now that mercury's like starting to move again and pick up speed it's like okay now but literally like as mercury was moving towards its station the thing just kept increasing like something crazy and then it was like setting off an alarm and it happened three times last week it was really stupid um so i feel like it's also tied in with like the mars saturn stuff just thinking about like what mars and saturn represent in my chart (laughs) and just knowing the mars and saturn signatures of people in my lab like I'm like, yeah, stuff possibly breaking and people having feelings about it is definitely going to be like Mercury handing off to Saturn, just being like, okay, I'm dumping this at your doorstep. I'm not getting back in it, but y'all can deal with that now. Um, that's how that felt. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. So <laughs> that Saturn-Mars opposition is going to go exact um, pretty soon. And but it's also something that's been building up since Mars entered Leo, right? And then mm-hmm. you know, just to make it even more juicy, Uranus is squaring them both. Ugh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if you guys remember my poll about um, 
Saturn versus Mars and then throw Uranus in who's gonna win in this situation um and I don't know about you pal but I think that Saturn is going to come out on top but not unscathed uh because uh later in the season uh the sun does like after cancer season is over sorry uh the sun does move into leo which kind of helps mars out and you know begins to take over where um pick up where mars left off uh not only that but i believe jupiter will also be there kind of like helping saturn to calm down a bit when it goes back into Aquarius at the end of July. And then Uranus is like technically in Antitia with Mars. And it's contra Antitia to um, Saturn. And so Antitia are like shadow conjunctions or oppositions, right? And so planets that are conjunct are trying to do the same things. Planets that are opposite each other have different agendas. And so I think Uranus is going to start shit, but like is secretly co-signing what Mars is doing. So, I mean, Mars is going to do some damage. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree Saturn does win overall, but it's not, like, an easy battle by any means. Like, I, I tweeted, um, like, a couple of weeks back that I think Mars, you know, it was right at the beginning of, or right before Mars entered Leo, and I was like, look, like, Mars entering Leo is gonna make you feel like, oh, shit, it's, like, hot girl summertime, but, <laughs> um, but I do think that Saturn's gonna reel a lot of that in, but I think, yeah, I think toward the end of Mars's journey through Leo is where Mars will get stronger, one, because Mars is gonna be in its own decan and then its own bound, and then two that yeah venus venus will be there in leo like i think really trying to do her best to, yeah yeah make things good keep the peace i don't know oh yeah so i think that yeah it'll be interesting seeing what happens when both um benefics are in yeah i think that the four jupiter gets back into aquarius venus does like dip and just say okay i'm tapping out of this fight and then she's like dealing with her own shit going through virgo um but even so like the sun will help out and i don't care what anybody says the sun is a malefic okay i know everybody's like yeah sun light whatever i mean we'll talk about this more in the leo deckens episode um but think about the fact that when planets get too close to the sun they're combust um that's not good for the planets that's good for the sun um whereas the moon like which is the other luminary which can provide light um can kind of provide like light or support to other planets without damaging them so i'm team the sun is ever so slightly malefic and we're gonna find that out later when cancer season is over <laughs> yeah no i i will definitely have a lot to say about that as someone who has two combust planets and one that's invisible <laughs> But sun and domicile. So yeah, that will be an interesting discussion for Leo Deccans. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Like I know, like, hey, Jupiter just stationed retrograde. I don't know that. I, I don't know if I really felt that one yet. I mean, but. I feel like as somebody who has like Jupiter retrograde ruling my ascendant natally, and then like, you know, Jupiter goes retrograde for like four or five months out of every year, just like Saturn. 
I think uh, Kira, who's the astrology on Twitter and literally everywhere, um, she had this really wonderful post about um, leaning into the Jupiter retrogrades. But I guess this also applies to Saturn retrogrades as well, just because they spend like similar amounts of time retrograde. Um, there's almost this need to like kind of like slow down and review like everything that you need to do and I find that people who have like Sag, Pisces, Capricorn and Aquarius risings like they kind of go through the seasons of their life a little more slowly than like people who have uh you know the moon Mercury or Venus especially ruling their ascendants because I feel like you know the sun spends like about a month in every sign and then like Venus and Mercury, like, if there isn't a retrograde, like, it's it's pretty similar. But in Mercury's case, like, way shorter. Like, when Mercury's moving really fast. Like, as you guys might remember during, like, Taurus season. Um, as you guys are probably going to feel, like, once Mercury hits Cancer, it's just going to be in and out. Like, um, I think there's just this need to, like kind of focus on one thing at a time or in um, the case of the Saturnian risings, like one thing at a time for like three years of your life. <laughs> and the retrograde periods are just like, okay, like I did all this stuff, but like now I have to like go back and like review everything that I was doing. Uh, in the case of Saturn, it's like my commitment to like this particular area. Uh, and then in the case of Jupiter world risings, like, is this something I want to expand on or is this something that like I need to like go of so that I can like emancipate myself from it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. These retro, these Jupiter and Saturn retrogrades tend to last about the same amount of time as Mo said. They both station direct in October within a week of each mm-hmm. other. So, um, yeah, I didn't like for both retrograde stationings. Yeah. I think it's, it's cause they're slower moving planets for me. It's not like, like I felt the shift like as much as I feel even ingresses or other planets stationing but um but sometimes the stationing direct for me will be a little bit more because it's kind of like yeah all that stuff that you're reevaluating or revisiting for the past like five months there's just something that kind of calls into question or kind of brings it all together so yeah and um I find that like the stations it's not that the retrogrades don't the station retrograde doesn't matter, but I find that, like, if you really want to see how a station's going to impact you, and some stations in a sign might be more um, impactful than others, just because of, like, where things are stationing. Um, like, for example, the Mercury retrograde station, like, it was there for me, but it wasn't as, like, intense as the um, direct station, because, like, yeah, Mercury stationed, I want to say, three degrees from my Saturn and like that for me was like attending a wedding Mm -hmm. and like having to figure out how I was going to get back get back into Canada like with all the quarantine rules and shit but that went surprisingly well actually Mm -hmm. um but this station direct was really brutal because like Mercury stationed within a degree of my natal Mercury uh and that rules like my living situation my partnerships and like just that whole sequence for me was realizing like I've hit a breaking point with my living situation and you know partnership is just like it's okay but like it's not where it needs to be right now 
And so just dealing with like the crushing reality of that was a lot <laughs> this week. Um, yeah. I, I don't think there's anything else I had to talk about um, for mm-hmm. the disaster weather, but do you have any announcements or anything? Is there anything else uh, announcements. So I'm having like, I was up until like stupid o'clock fog brain, but I am recording another um podcast type thing it's like about the royals just the astrology of them um because it's interesting and like they're just good real-time examples of shit that happens and so i don't know when that would drop but like i'm recording that today um i i closed my consults for this week and much of next week because um I'm going away for the long weekend next weekend, and I just have too much other shit on my plate right now. Uh, I will be reopening a couple days after Mars-Saturn, but it's like trying to open signups is not top of my list right now, and it'll probably be at the earliest, the 3rd of July, possibly floating later, but um, yeah. Yeah, I um, still haven't officially opened, but it's funny because someone on Astro Twitter was tweeting asking about breakup elections, and then someone, I didn't see that tweet, but someone then tagged me on it saying, Cal knows a lot about these, and I was like, yes, I do. Um, so they tweeted, and, and then as I was like, as the day was going on, I was like, you know, I retweeted my own tweet saying like, Maybe I should reopen just to just for breakup like elections, and then people were actually responding and being like, "I I I want to do this," and um, I yes. yeah. So I was softly like opened like I, my if if there's anyone out there who wants an election for it doesn't have to just be like a, a breakup of a romantic relationship, but it could be the ending of anything really. Right. Cause we talk so much about elections being the start of things and they can be like, if you want to like start like a new business or if you want to start a new social media mm-hmm. account, you can do that, but you can also use elections to end things. So if you need to like put in your resignation letter for a job, or if you need to end a relationship or you need to just cut ties with like, it doesn't have to be just a romantic relationship. You can use elections, but if anyone has an interest in that, you can DM me on um, Twitter because, um, yeah, I'm going to play around with it and see how it goes. But, yeah, I'm in the the same boat where I'm not ready to fully open my books yet. I am just even questioning whether I even still would want to do, like, Mabel Chart Astrology. I mean, I – I mean, like, you doing elections for ending things, that's, like, fucking great. And I think that – if you you know play around with it for like the rest of the year or like just until the next time like a conference is like opening up speaker applications i would love to see like a workshop or you could just workshop it like fuck a conference just like do Um, a workshop that's true (laughs) all right so let's get ready to start talking about the cancer decans but first let's talk about cancer the archetype we were mentioning at the beginning of this episode already about cancer being the the real new year, not not airy season. Um, 
yeah and it did make me think of just the fact that you know cancer is cardinal water and I think there is I, I agree with Mo on this I think there is a lot of um there's a lot of argument for this for one cancer season starts with a summer solstice and then the second thing is um the themamundi begins with cancer at the ascendant and the moon um and so what are your thoughts on this mo oh my god i could write like not a thesis quite yet but like a well put together essay on why astrological new year should start at cancer season and like the thing is is that i understand like the attraction to <clears throat> aries or like the uh equinox as the starting point just because you're like trying to restore like the balance in the light dark cycle for the most part but just thinking about like cancer season it's like okay cancer and capricorn season are the solstices so this is where like you either get um max darkness or max light in the northern or southern hemisphere right and regardless of how you slice it like you can see like with in the northern hemisphere like the longest day is like igniting a match which starts something right uh but then like in the southern hemisphere it's like maximum darkness it's like this is as dark as it's going to get um, for as long as it's going to get and so I think that when you think of birthing or birth as a concept there's an element of coming out of like a primordial soup and like most like organisms on planet earth have to be birthed in some kind of like liquid ish medium right like Yes, we talked about, like, with the Aries Decans, that birth is, like, a violent separating event, but it's also an event that requires a lot of, like, nurturing and putting stuff together. So, I mean, if you want to emphasize those qualities of birthing, the analogies are definitely there with cancer. And I would argue that between that and historically the Egyptians um, – used cancer season roughly as the start of their new year because it coincided with the flooding of the Nile. Um, I mean, like, how, what, what much more do you need than that? Because it's just like, guys, it's flooding, you know, that's good for crops. Like, you can grow things. Like, it's it's just big birthing energy. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, um, you know, and then as, like, you know, on the comparison between like Aries versus um, versus Cancer, it is we talked a lot about the violence of birth because that de that Aries and that first decan begins with like it's a it's a Mars ruled decan and Aries itself is ruled by Mars, and so it's funny if you if you really were to look at that Cancer, then um, that first decan of Cancer is ruled by Venus and Cancer itself is ruled by the moon. <laughs> and both Venus and the moon have a lot of traditional significations of motherhood and caregiving and, and birth. Mm -hmm. And so um, I do I do find um, that, yeah, that 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 part of birth would definitely be interesting or would be emphasized if you would consider cancer as like the start of the astrological new year yeah like i see we'll talk about this more with um cancer one in particular but it's like 
you know, the environment of the womb or the egg. Um, and then just thinking of Venus as being associated with like birthing or like child rearing. It's interesting because um, in the Vedic system, Venus is actually associated with semen. And in the West, it's Jupiter, which ironically also has its exaltation in cancer. I mean, it, it's just really giving like, okay, let's mix like your juice and my juice in the sauce and see what comes out of it like that's very that's very cancer yeah uh, and i do i do think that i mean looking um for any sign really like looking at the planets that are domiciled domiciled exalted and then detriment and fall in that sign can tell you a lot about the archetype right and so um i i do yeah the moon uh, the moon um the moon is domiciled in Cancer. Jupiter is exalted there. And so I, yeah, like the moon does represent, it does represent emotions, right? Which can add to a lot of that stereotype of Cancers just being the biggest crybabies and what, um, what makes me, <laughs> what makes me get a laugh about that one. You know, like a lot of these sun sign stereotypes, there is some truth to it, but make, what makes me laugh is just how much so many Cancers will get really upset by that but i think they have some right to too because i think a lot of people sleep on the fact that jupiter exalts here like and you know jupiter is also a very jovial sign as well like it's not just crying all the time for cancer it's like yeah. the whole gamut of emotions also let me tell you right now cancer is not the biggest crybaby of the water signs i don't no. care <laughs> honestly scorpio and pisces are dueling it out for that one and Scorpio can get mad that it's like you're just crying in a corner by yourself because you don't want people to see it okay like <laughs> I don't want to hear anybody tell me that cancer which you know like kind of like Scorpio like if you think about like the water signs two out of three of them are represented by animals that have hard shell-like exteriors with like either pinchers or venomous like um attachments that are meant to defend themselves right and the only one that doesn't have that is Pisces. Like, so Cancer's very, like, the shell metaphors and the protection metaphors, huge part of Cancer. And I think some of this speaks to, like, the um, debilitation of Saturn and Mars in this sign. So a lot of people have accurately pointed out that, like, the Cancer-Capricorn axis does have things to do with, like, security versus like um like security and protection but like cancer is all about facilitating that in a familiar environment and i say that cancer being like cardinal waters like trying to create like new emotional no the same emotional like ambiance in like new context because it is a cardinal sign cardinal signs like new shit uh whereas capricorn is like I'm going far from home, but I need protection anyway. I need to, like, bulk up my defenses. So, like, Capricorn kind of wants to stray away from the home. And, like, some of that is, like, depicted by Saturn. Because Saturn itself can have connotations of, like, exile and being away from things. Yeah, you'll see the protection theme play out as we talk about the Deccans, too. Like, yeah, this is... Cancer... A lot of archetypes of being just welcoming and nurturing, like those are definitely there, but it's also not like this. Is, this isn't for everyone <laughs> either, you know. And I also, you know, want to point out to like 
when I first started learning tarot, this really baffled me that the chariot is the card associated with cancer, but it, it does, it, you know, the more, uh, the more I've studied tarot, like I, I do, I do see it now. And I think it is, it does come with some of just this, the, this protection, right? Like the chariot is literally <laughs> like this, like hard shelled like vehicle in which you like, um, you know, stand in so you could like travel in with like horses and stuff. Um, yeah. But even just the, the, the chariots archetypes as well of, um, like it is in some ways just like how, how do you like control those emotions and also just kind of package those emotions um but like so that not not so that you like kind of hide them or um or suppress them even i think it, it doesn't have to be just suppression either it could also just be like a, just a productive channeling of them mm -hmm. yeah no i feel like the chariot um like people are like i don't see the chariot being associated with cancer i'm like because you don't understand the chariot as a card like i mean the whole point is not just to focus on the guy literally being in this protected thing it's like the whole lesson of the card is you have to um not try to control the reins too much and learn how to um, flow with them and the thing is with cancer being ruled by the moon the moon is always waxing and waning and there's this element of ad adapting to environment. And again, this is where my whole cancer is all, all about creating home, creating familiarity in a new situation or in a new context. It's like, how can I adapt to my surroundings to make them more comfortable? And I think the chariot is all about success comes through knowing when to tighten your grip on the reins, but knowing when to loosen them so that you can stay the course. Because if you try too hard to control things, you're going to get off track and you're going to fall off you're gonna get thrown out like um and i think like the chariot also reminds me very much of like a mars and cancer type of archetype and like there's something about the water signs that has this underlying martial quality just because like mars is one of the major triplicity lords of the water signs even though um Mars is debilitated in Cancer, but that's probably more to do with the fact that Cancer is ruled by the moon, which is like always fluctuating. And Mars kind of needs structure to do martial things or else it's just going to destroy shit. Um, but like the whole protection defense theme kind of shows up in the chariot card. And it does make me think of the lessons of using um, Mars and Cancer effectively. Like that's the way I see the chariot. Yeah, I like that. Is there anything else you wanted to add about cancer before we go into the decans? Um, no, but I want people to stop with the cancer is the biggest crybaby. Literally every cancer, <laughs> like rising, moon, and some of the suns I know, they are not, not by any means. So <laughs> cut it out. <laughs> Literally cut it out. Yeah. I agree. Um, <laughs> so, yes, Cancer. Let's talk about Cancer deck in one, then. This one's ruled by Venus and the Moon, and Austin calls this one Mother and Child. So that just, um, just makes our case, or just adds to our case, that this is the Astrological New Year. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on this deck? Oh, my God. I Okay, look, I love this deck in. I have nothing in this deck in, uh, in uh, neither tropically or sedarily, but um, I really love this deck in. Uh, it's just, 
I will say it's one of the Deccans that has some of the nicer, um, some of the nicer imagery. Uh, and then mm. I really like um, uh, T. Susan's uh, description in 36 Secrets, which she calls this The Dance Begins. And there's this element of like two people or a person in like a situation coming together and like entangling themselves, if that makes sense. Like if you think about Austin's imagery and then hers. Uh, and then I think there's this huge element of like, nourishment and nurturing but also just paying attention to like the little details so that you can um really like either help like a person or a process um come to its uh maturation i guess yeah i i, I yeah the the themes of like that enmeshment is definitely there and this is a venus rule deccan right and venus is all about that combination and that emulsification and you see mm -hmm. it in the card that represents venus right like if you look at the empress card if you look at the traditional writer weight artwork like the empress's dress is literally merging with all the like the just the nature and the flowers mm -hmm. and the greenery in the in the environment and so um yeah i think a lot of people their natural inclination is going to think about um when you think about like enmeshment it's gonna be about relationships and you know this deccan is associated with the two of cups and the two of cups is um yeah the, the imagery with the two of cups is it's um you know it's generally a good it's considered a good card like you get this in a reading especially if it's a romantic reading it's like oh great like it's like the beginning of a new relationship and it's like a good relationship it's not it's not necessarily like mm -hmm. a bad one but um but yeah there is something about this deccan like the acknowledgement it's like the the self like acknowledging that like that there's an uh, the other that exists and just kind of like surrendering to that um there is always the danger with that of just being like fully submerged in that yeah um another thing that i really liked about the 36 secrets description is that um something wonderful that t susan does is that she describes like the tree of life um kabbalistic associations of the cards and like what they mean and there was this kind of like this like uh okay so cancer is like the shell right that protects um things it's like kind of like similar to the um aries deck and imagery and that like there's this huge boundary between like life and death right and aries is like shattering this wall to create new life but in the case of cancer it's like trying to be like a membrane that's like selectively permeable to certain things and she talks about the empress like putting a keyhole in the wall or like a little hole in the wall so that certain influences can like come in and I mean, the biologist in me is thinking, okay, yeah, membranes and ion channels and, you know, all the stuff that we take for granted that keeps us alive. Like, um, and, uh, but in this case, she talks about um, creating this wall and something that uh, comes to mind for me is like, in order to like, form like a relationship with somebody or anything, you kind of have to like, open yourself up to um, allow the influence in. And I think that uh, it allows you to uh, pay attention to the vulnerabilities or to really get to know a person or a process so that you can actually, like, start to merge with it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely agree. Uh, 
Um, I, I do, you know, I, 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 this is a very feel good Deccan. It's, it's both Venus and moon ruled, but I do think it's really interesting that the only other Venus moon Deccan in the Zodiac is um, Scorpio three, Scorpio Deccan three, which we'll talk about more in Scorpio season. Wait, but is it? No. Yes. No. Wait. It might also be Aquarius three, I think. I think I looked up Aquarius three and it was like, the, it's not, it's Venus. Uh, it's yeah, it's Venus, but I think the other planet that rules it is, I'm just going to look it up now because I'm like, <laughs> uh... yeah, but no, there aren't a lot of uh, Venus moon decans, but this is like this one and the one in Scorpio are probably like the vibiest ones, but for different reasons. My bad, yeah. I think I was looking at Aquarius one because like but no, yes. Um <laughs> it's moon moon Venus, it rules Aquarius three anyway. But yes, I did think it was it, <laughs> I, I was looking at Scorpio three a lot and just like the contrast of the two because it's like mm-hmm. it, bo- both Venus and Moon are like a detriment and fall in Scorpio, so it's not gonna mm-hmm. feel like as good in there. And so like so that's why I feel like Scorpio three can really feel like it's like the hangover after a lot of feeling good and just like the yearning to continue, keep it going. <laughs> like even though it's like it's already kind of past the, it, it hit its prime. With Cancer mm-hmm. one though, it's like it's it's yeah, it's more like that 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 point way before you even hit that point of just like no things are like feeling really good. Like it's like like a mm-hmm. good start or something. Um, and yeah, and I think that has. I mean, the Moon is domiciled in Cancer, so it's a very different situation. Oh yeah. Um Yeah, but no, I Oh, also another thing that's mentioned in 36 Secrets is that um with this being the um one of the solstices, like there are lots of um in certain pagan traditions there is imagery of um the union between uh the god who's like a solar type figure and then the goddess in that the god promises to like give life to the things that the goddess wants to create and that he'll like um be responsible for like this change in the um light dark cycle that's meant to keep things going and so i think that that's like very uh representative of the image on the card but also just kind of the enmeshment that shows up within this decan and i mean this is a vibey decan but there can be kind of issues with like enmeshment and I find that people who do have placements in this particular deck end can struggle with that to some extent. Um, I yeah, I actually don't. I don't have any placements in any of the cancer. <laughs> like I don't. Anything well, at all I have a lot, period, but but, uh, but not this one. <laughs> not this one. Not this one. No. Yeah. And I think some of that comes with like, yeah, I mean, there is just what what is, um, especially when it comes to like, let's just look at romantic partnership and marriage just to begin with, right? And just like how that's been like traditionally viewed and stuff. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, if, you know, in the Christian tradition, the Bible like literally begins with the story of like creation of like Adam and then and then they he creates Eve so he can have a partner. And the line mm-hmm. that constantly gets used is um, the, the, from the beginning of the Bible onwards is that the two become one flesh. 
right? Like it's even though mm-hmm. they're they're two separate beings, they become one. But um, there has and and since then, the Christian tradition constantly to this day talks about marriage of like once you're married, you're like not it's not you're not a separate person anymore. You're like mm-hmm. one with someone else. And um, yeah, I mean, I personally think there can be like danger dangers in doing mm-hmm. partnership like that, but. Mhm. Yeah. Um Yeah, no, I have some examples that I want to share, which is uh really interesting. If you want to get some good into ones examples. too. Yeah, I'm oh, good wait, with examples. I need, to, I need to fucking what am I doing? See, this is my brain like messing up. I need to read the descriptions. Oh. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so uh also funny like mercury stationing thing the place where i usually copy paste like the um descriptions from ibn ezra the picatrix and agrippa was just not working so i had to find like a whole pdf that has them plus other stuff um but the pdf is like password protected or something so i couldn't like just copy paste them into the document so i had to figure something out and obviously i had not slept so i was like uh Okay, but here we go. Okay, so Ibn Ezra says this is a handsome young man wearing clothes and he has some sickness and in his face and fingers there is some crookedness and his body resembles that of a horse and an elephant and his feet are white and on his body are hanging ornaments in the shape of trees and he sits in an orchard that grows fragrant stalk. The Picatrix says a man having twisted and crooked fingers and head and his body is like the body of a horse and having white feet upon his body fig leaves and this is a face of teaching knowledge of love of subtlety and of skills and agrippa finally says in the first face of cancer ascendeth the form of a young virgin adorned with fine clothes and having a crown on her head it giveth it giveth acuteness of senses subtility of wit and the love of men uh and then the Yavana Jataka says, the first decanate and the fourth sign is a woman whose words are beautiful and full of grace. Holding a lotus in her hand, she stands in the water, pining with love. She is pale and fair as a campaka flower. She wears a single white garment. So there's lots of this like weird um, kind of like purity type energy just because of the emphasis on like um, like paleness um but like when they described like the mostly the men in the uh ibn ezra and picatrix descriptions it just seems like okay there's a lot of um kind of like the sickness seems to imply that like these are people who need like resources or nurturing like they're dependent on something right and they're like always connected to like a tree of some kind right so like I'm thinking about like the fact that you know I'm not trying to say this to be like mean or anything but <laughs> when you have like a when somebody who can get pregnant is carrying a child inside them that takes a lot of resources out of you and if we think about like Saturn's rulership of bones and like the fact that um, Saturn is in its exile in cancer one thing that a lot of pregnant people struggle with is the fact that a lot of your calcium reserves get um, sucked up when you're carrying your child and so if you're not 
getting the nourishment that you need to nourish the life that's growing inside you that can be kind of hard on your body um that's what some of that makes me think of i don't know about you <laughs> yeah yeah it, <laughs> it totally does and just again i guess it kind of goes back to like you know we talked a bit about romantic partnerships but austin does like call this deck in mother and child right and mm -hmm. that is the very first relationship um i mean pretty much virtually all of us have unless i guess you were born in a test tube but um but yeah it's it's gonna be the relationship that each of us have with like our mothers and it is a very very like a, a, by nature it's a very dependent one right we're absolutely mm -hmm. completely like tethered to our mothers for you know nine or so months so yeah and then there's this like sensitivity and like concern for like tending really delicate or beautiful things um which kind of seems to be um woven throughout the imagery of these decans um yeah it's a very tender like nurturing um and as t susan says in 36 secrets about the twos it's like the two um cards are all about awareness and in the case of uh, the Two of Cups, this is an emotional awareness of like something that catches your eye or something that you want to um, pay close attention to, right? Just stuff like that. Yeah. All right, you ready for examples now? <laughs> oh, yes. I... I have good okay. ones for this one. <laughs> so my first example is actually... Um, Warren Buffett hmm. he has Mars in this decan and so for the fact that Mars rules his fifth whole sign house with also the degree of his um, IC uh, for one I think when I was reading his bio uh, when he was first starting out he did a lot of um, protest investing at various points of his career and um, the fifth house does real speculation and then you know the eighth house is other people's money so You'll see with his chart, he has his... Is he a day chart? Let me actually pull up his chart right now. Yes, he's a day chart. So he has his most challenged planet, that Mars in um, Cancer, and his most constructive planet, which rules his ascendant, that Jupiter in Cancer, but in the second decan, in this eighth house. And so um, how that plays into his life is really interesting. But like, so because the because mars rules his fifth house this guy was obsessed with this chick who was dating this ukulele player and like he wanted to compete with this guy but obviously couldn't and so he like has played it since like he it's it's like a skill he's picked up because he was trying to get this other chick's attention and like this is like a weird like hobby he has as a result but then like um because like he was into like playing the ukulele it helped him meet his uh wife who he was married to until um until her death wow. um and then i think like even though he was married like he they lived separately but they stayed married after a while um so what happened was they got married in 1952 they lived separately until like starting in 1977 but they were still married until she passed away um and then he 
had this companion who he'd been living with um since like they separated and he ended up marrying her like i I think the arrangement is like really interesting um and i think oh and what's interesting is that his wife actually hooked them up because she wanted to go do like something creative and uh i think they might have had like a weird like arrangement okay i can't say it's weird because i too am in an open relationship but like an uncommon arrangement uh, they yes. had, right? <laughs> and so I feel like that's kind of his, like, eighth house, um, fifth, like, fifth house connection in that first decan of um, Cancer. Oh, and then, like, the fifth house is also children. And so this wasn't his child, like, his child, but a child of his child. He um, disowned one of his children's adopted children when she oh, um yeah. participated in this documentary about economic inequality he like literally disowned her yeah which i think is an indictment on his character obviously yeah he's yeah. like oh i'm cutting you off from like the the tree I, I do um, remember just seeing that news. And, you know, like, Warren Buffett always, he'll he'll get lauded sometimes as being like, oh, he's like a different billionaire. Because he, he has spoken out. There are quotes of him speaking out against, like, income inequality. And he says he's going to, like, donate a lot of his wealth to charity. But he obviously has plans to also pass some of that wealth down, obviously, because he disinherited one of his grandkids. And so, um, yeah, that's fucked up. And it's just like... <laughs> Yeah, giving pledge, but um oh also there was some stuff with um I think him and AIG. Um this was like just before the financial crisis where he acquired um No, 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 this was before he yeah, this was before the financial crisis. Um AIG and um some other company that he acquired like were into some shit because of um they had questionable transactions you know they were cooking the books obviously and of course you know the bigger schemes got um revealed during the actual financial crisis and it's interesting that this was all happening just before uh pluto was going into um capricorn i think pluto's actually crossing his ascendant at this point because he's a late sag ascendant but anyway like Pluto was like making its way towards Capricorn in like 2007, 2008, getting ready to hit his um, Saturn in Capricorn, but also like simultaneously opposing that Mars in um, Cancer. And something happened with AIG where they paid like a fine. And I think he settled with the U S government also settled um, with the company that he acquired. Um, so that they could avoid being prosecuted. <laughs> so yeah, there's some shady um, stuff there going on. I think. Yeah, but, there just um, always will be with billionaires. Like there, there's like yeah, in order to become a billionaire, you have to do shady shit. That's you no really going around things. that. <laughs> and like just with like Mars ruling speculation in his chart, um, it's pretty telling that like. I'm gonna make these backdoor deals with people just so that we can like avoid a crisis and I think this is where some of the cancer like encasement like 
shell like type of properties come in and just how like he's built his career off of like speculation and acquiring like slowly like enveloping um other like companies and assets kind of like an amoeba just kind of swallows Mm. things it's like been a Mm. bit of a blessing and a curse for him but i really think that jupiter like co-presence is helping a lot (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a really good example um yeah i have one so um liberace has his yeah Liberace has his Venus there exactly conjoined the Pluto and his descendant in wow. his seventh house yeah go look at this chart because you know look like Liberace was was a child prodigy and he is an Emmy award winning musical artist with like and so he he's he's extremely extremely talented but. You know, one of the things he's really actually known for known for is his flamboyance as well as his alleged homosexuality, which he never, um, you know, he never identified as before his before he passed. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, he lived during like the early and like mid you know twentieth century, right at a time where obviously people say really fucked up things around like just the LGBTQ community. Um, I did find, so there was a columnist who wrote about him in 1956, and I'm going to warn people now that this is, um, this can be very, this, this quote could be, I, I, I think this, this, this columnist wrote this quote to be very derogatory, so I will throw that out there now, but I, I want to share it because just the words she describes mm-hmm. and just consider and keep in mind the words she uses to describe him and keep in mind right he's got this like venus and cancer and deck and one conjoined exactly to pluto and his descendant but here here's the quote um she described liberace as the summit of sex the pinnacle of masculine feminine and neuter everything that he she and it can ever want a deadly winking sniggering snuggling chromium plated scent impregnated luminous quivering giggling fruit flavored mincing ice covered heap of mother love <laughs> and to me like i mean yeah it, i i do think she meant that in just like kind of this insulting derogatory way mm-hmm. but to me it, it, like just the words and like all those adjectives it's just like wow this is like it's Venus conjunct Pluto. I think it really is just like this, like this, um, like taking some of these Venus significations, but really, really just like messing them up or just kind of making it like, like, yeah, it just, I, 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 I thought that was kind of really telling. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, just, even just the, like the word, like mother love, I was just like, wow, like this is cancer duck in one, but like in a kind of, uh, um contorted way Mm -hmm. yeah um so i have another example uh so uh the duke of cambridge uh prince william he's actually a solar eclipse baby uh in his eighth house in this uh particular decade and i think this to me is something i'm going to talk about in the podcast i'm recording later today (laughs) But um, something that I that struck me when I was reading his bio is that um, he has a lot of, um, I guess, like banking interests that he's had, like, after he graduated school. So, like, he 
did an internship in land management but also banking and then like later in his life at some point i have to check like when the perfections line up or not is that um he's set to inherit the um duchy of cornwall which is this like crazy um entity that was established like eons ago you know it's as old as like the monarch the monarchy and uh england slash the uk um and it's worth like 125 billion us dollars right now that's the estimated net worth but like he's set to inherit it and um he you know um was enrolling in a course like i think seven years ago to prepare for his um eventual management of the duchy and so he's set to inherit it um when his father becomes king but like obviously he's like second in line to the throne and i remember when um bernadette brady was on uh the astrology podcast talking about eclipses and she noted that um if you look at the sorrow cycles of eclipses which is how you can see which eclipse cycles will hit you or not based on like the sorrow cycle that you were born closest to um uh william was born in the same sorrow cycle that um um the establishment or the conquering of wales was um i guess that the conquering of wales occurred under and so i remember her speculating that is he going to be the last like prince of wales at some point um which I'm just like, mm. I mean, just thinking about <clears throat> other transits that are happening right now, I'm like, I wouldn't be surprised personally, but um, that's just um some stuff to think about. Um, and it's just like, I'm wondering, it's like, okay, if he does inherit this um duchy, and if he does um inherit the title of, you know, um king or reigning monarch or whatever the highest title is like like will the basically my question is will the monarchy last long enough for him to like really clinch that wait is he a south node eclipse or is he a north node eclipse i can't remember north node eclipse so i don't know like that's just something that i was thinking about when looking at his chart in particular do you have any other examples for this one um just real quick ones like ariana grande has her son um in this decan mm -hmm. in her seventh house and it exactly trines her midheaven and you know she's someone who you know she's obviously very talented and she's like made a big name for herself as an artist but i think the thing she's just equally famous about is her relationships and just the um, the changing of the tides in those, right? Like she just, I think it was just this summer or just, just the spring um, she got, um, spring. Yeah. She got married to some like mm -hmm. real estate agent that I think most people didn't even know that relationship was even, um, that she was even in a relationship. And so, and I think those, I think she has like the top like likes now on photo on like yeah, a single photo does. on Instagram. Yeah. She does. Um, so that's a quick example. And then I also have, um, so so Farrah Fawcett has her moon here and her um, conjoined to her ascendant in this decan. And I don't know, like, 
um, a lot of our listeners are like old enough to even remember who she is. But um, when she she was, um, you know, she was in Charlie's Angels, and you know, there's three Charlie's Angels, but she was by far like the, you know, the the, the angel most like the one. <laughs> yeah, she was the angel. Um, but even before, um, even before she became an angel, she got really famous for, and she got a lot of money out of this bikini poster that she was in, and being in Charlie's Angels just ended up really boosting the sales for her and so to me i mean that that just signifies just a lot of just the um you know just the the Mm -hmm. first house like representing body the moon itself also representing body and so her just really really being kind of like known for that um i think fits Uh, i have another example let me just pull up her chart really quick it's um coretta scott king the Mm -hmm. wife of um Martin Luther King, who is, you know, an activist in her own right as well, especially after his death. And so I think Mars ruling her seventh house um, can join the midheaven in this particular Deccan um, is very much tied to her um, kind of nurturing his legacy, um, especially after he died, but also just her being um, really supportive of... um, of his um endeavors uh let me think let me think oh also like something that is interesting about her bio is that um she described herself as a tomboy a lot during um childhood and i don't know if you guys remember all the um the tree imagery in some of the decans but like she loved um climbing trees and <laughs> wrestling boys <laughs> but um Apparently, uh, what happened was she was stronger than one of her uh, male cousins, and um, I think she accidentally cut him with an axe. And uh, her aunt, I or like somebody, like got um really upset with her, and so she um she like became more ladylike and reserved, and it's even said that she thought it was ironic that like she was really like aggressive and violent or violent um like when she was young she still channeled that through like nonviolent movements and that's like that shows up in like how she's remembered and just fighting for people to have access to the same like resources that would sustain them and stuff like that um Wow, I didn't know any of that about her, actually. No, that's cool. It's like, listen, we love the range. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, that's all the examples I had. Do you have any more? Uh, do I have any more examples? Like, I have other examples, like, but I don't really... I don't feel really drawn to sharing them. Oh, wait. <laughs> I, I do have one example I do. Well, two. So one quick example. So Khloe Kardashian, she has her son in the sixth house, and her son rules the seventh. And I just think it's interesting that she's always tied to athletes as partners. Mm. And they're always athletes that have, like, issues. And they kind of, like, are latching on to her. So... Lamar Odom, he had his addiction issue, and then um, her current, I guess, partner, baby daddy, uh, Tristan Thompson, um, is a serial cheater. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's just interesting that she's um she has this like thing where she like tends to rehabilitate the people she's with. I don't know if you've noticed that, but oh it's yeah, really, it's it's painful to watch. It's it, yeah, and it's like, girl, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, what's even better is that uh, her son is opposite Jupiter as well, hmm. and it's like trying her Saturn, and I guess her Mars, like in the tenth whole sign house, and like Saturn rules her, so like, I mean, I guess she's in a position to do it, but like it's like at what cost right at what yeah cost? you know this jupiter oppositions are tough because i also wonder if it also just kind of just amplifies you know the, just the constant just like false hope of like this will get better this will get better yeah especially because she has that jupiter and capricorn and like yeah her jupiter's like in its own terms and it's in its own uh decan but like I'm wondering if some of the self undoing around like, you know, having like this very public platform because, you know, she's got that outer planet and I guess the south node stellium in her 11th house. Her south nodes conjunct that Sag midheaven and then her lot of fortune and her second house are like both Pisces. So it's like mm. a lot of her like money and like affluence stuff is in that 12th house. And so there's a lot of like self undoing there. And I think that like there's this need to have like partnership to match that Mm, yeah um and so it's tough it's tough um and then another person who had like relational issues um uh princess diana of wales uh she actually has her son in this decan but she also has mercury um in this decan a retrograde mercury and Obviously, she inherited a huge title, like, through marriage. I mean, Mercury rules her seventh house, but also her tenth whole sign house. But, um, I think, uh, with her, the Mercury stuff seems to show up in, like, the dysfunction in her relationship with, um, Prince Charles. Uh, let me pull up her bio because like she was i mean she was pretty so like if you think about like the the imagery of like a young like virginal woman uh that's what she was um for charles and that was a huge reason why like he kind of chose her or was pressured to choose her as like um his partner just like for his public image Um, and then, like, just having the ruler of the seventh in the eighth house, like, um, I think that there were lots of, like, secrets and issues around, like, being able to really, uh, nurture each other and, like, actually reciprocate, um, feelings. And so, I mean, both of them, she and her, um ex-husband both had lots of affairs and stuff like that so that was um stuff that was going on and then another thing is that um the sun which rules the ninth house uh is conjunct and combusting that um that uh mercury and so something that makes me think of is how apparently at points of her 
life, especially like towards the end and towards the end of her marriage to uh, Charles, apparently she would um, do secret interviews with people who write books and she would um, talk about like her struggles and um, they were used as sources for books that were published about like her marriage, which was like heavily talked about. So I thought that that was really um, interesting. And then, yeah, but I think that's where that Mercury especially um, comes up. Oh, and then obviously her getting a lump sum and like a huge settlement um, in her divorce while also like retaining some of the titles and continuing to be a working royal despite being divorced. Um, so that, that was another, um, thing. But That's a other good than one. that, I don't have any more, uh, first Hideken examples. All right, let's move on then to Cancer 2. Um, I think Cancer 2 is where, you know, a lot of those, just, um, the protectiveness significations of Cancer will come up in this mm-hmm. Deccan especially, Austin calls this one a walled garden, and this one is ruled by Mercury and Mars. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. the tarot card associated with this one is the Three of Cups, and this is this is a card I draw a lot, <laughs> actually, and it, it, oh, it always signifies a good time. I mean, if you look at the, the writer weight imagery, it's three women, you know, holding their cups, dancing, mm-hmm. um, just real fun times. Um but yeah, I do. Um, I did really like um, Susan Chang's um, this take on this Deccan, especially. Um, she brings up because, like you know, the magician is associated with Mercury, and then the chariot, mm-hmm. as we've talked about, is associated with Cancer. So the, this it would be the magician, the chariot, and so um, she talks about a bit about how it's just like magical thinking is what can help us get from like being in a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. So there's definitely abundance associated with this Deccan. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do think there is like a protectiveness to it. Like it's, it's close knit Mm -hmm. celebration, right? You're not throwing just like a gigantic house party and inviting everyone. Um, This is the kind of like party you throw for like your, your closest, most trusted friends is the vibe I get from the Deccan. Yeah, no, I really liked Susan Chang's um, description of this Deccan. So she calls this Seize the Day, um, which is interesting because it's like trying to jump on an opportunity to, um, I guess, benefit from things. And like just going along with like the mercurial uh, rulership of this Deccan is that there's something about this Deccan that's really enticing. And it can be great, but like, um, there's always like a trade-off, right? And there can be some trickery or deceit that comes through it. And like, it, it had like big um, forbidden fruit energy. So think about like the myth of the Garden of Eden, like they were protected in the safe space. Some intruder like infiltrated and told them to do something they weren't supposed to do. They broke the rules and then like they got kicked out of the garden, right? Or like in the case of Persephone where um, she ate the fruit of the underworld and like she was stuck 
there, but it was also like um, Chthonic Mercury or Chthonic Hermes, sorry, um, that helped her negotiate a deal where she could spend part of the year um, with her mother above, you know, like in the regular world and then like spent the other part of the year in the underworld. Um, so there's this kind of like, hmm, you know, there there can be too much of a good thing sometimes. And so I think it's interesting that Jupiter's like exaltation degree and like, I think Mars's, no, Mars's max, maximum fall is not here. I think it's actually in the next decade, but like Mars is um, the other co-ruler of this decade, which is interesting. And Mars can have like hidden powers here because um, it's kind of describing, you know, the threat that could come in and disrupt like what you are trying to do. But it's also like equally the like the chariot archetype, like having the armor, having the protection, having the things to carry you, just knowing, you know, how to steer appropriately before you um, get off course. Um, and so what else uh but yeah there's this element of protection and cultivation for like refinement and things like that that comes up with this deck in a lot um let's see uh i will read the descriptions and then we can do examples sounds good okay um Ibn Ezra says that <clears throat> this is a beautiful maiden with pleasant speech. On her head a myrtle crown, in her hand a wooden stick, and she desires wind and music. A woman with a... Okay, the Picatrix says, a woman with beautiful visage and having on her head a green wreath of myrtle, and in her hand is the stem of a planet, which is called... Or the plant, which is called the water lily. And she is singing songs of love and joy. This is a face of playing and of wealth and joy and abundance and agrippa says in the second face ascendeth a man clothed in comely apparel or a man and woman sitting at a table and playing it bestoweth riches mirth gladness and the love of women um and then the yavana jataka says the second decanate in cancer is a girl seated on a snake throne having a beautiful waist her heart is filled with kindness and affection. Her body adorned with jewels is beautiful and her garments are of a pale hue. I mean, this is like just a very um, abundant, uh, it's a very abundant Deccan and there's like this element of playfulness and um, I guess creation sort of. I don't know. It's just like people are happy and content and safe for the most part. Okay. Do you want to share your examples? Yeah. Um, the first example I want to share is my co-host for my other podcast, Panay Astrology. Her name is yeah. Janice. She, I told her I was going to talk about her for this episode. <laughs> she has a lot of Cancer 10th house <gasps> placements. Yeah. Huge. But it's her Leo That's placements huge. that are excited that I'm talking about her. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> she... Um, so she has her Mercury and Moon in Cancer in this decan wow. in the 10th house. And her Midheaven is actually in the first Cancer decan. <laughs> and so she um, she's a poet and a writer who um, the primary theme for a lot of uh, for a lot of her stories and her poems is her mom. 
um so much of what she writes about and she what she continues to write about is her mom and um yeah and so i think it's just very telling that she's got both mercury and moon here in the 10th house like it's just like um she had a very very close relationship with her mom her mom unfortunately like i've known her for many many years like her mom like just passed away from cancer like last year and so she's been like using and writing a lot about that as well and so um yeah that that's like that was my first quick example um i have a really good example um she is like my favorite example to use and it's megan the duchess of sussex so she has her mars in the second um which is great because it's also i think it's also pretty closely associated with fixed star sirius and like that's actually her heliacal rising star which is pretty funny um anyway so uh mars rules her fifth house which is like the performing arts and like children and creative things but also like uh her midheaven and so you can tell that she's like i know people are always giving her shit because she's like she wants to be private which is you know normal right you 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 have the right to choose like you know what you can and are willing to share with people and i feel like um her having that um depressed mars in her first house ruling her fifth um just shows up in how people criticize her in terms of like not wanting to show off like the children uh and things like that and wanting to like keep them safe uh and you can tell like i don't know if you watched the interview that she did with oprah but like there was this huge concern about safety of her children and that seemed to be what she cared the most about at the end of the day and not so much all the other shit but i also think that like just the abundance and like the description of of, like you know a beautiful woman who likes to do like fun things and have like fun just for the fact that the ruler of her house of pleasure and fun is also the ruler for midheaven i think this shows up as like her acting career on suits and like the lifestyle blog she used to run before and stuff like that so that's what that's where i see this um mars playing out the most and then for the fact that um it's squaring like her uh saturn which does rule her seventh house like her having to you know give some of that up just to marry into this like really privileged family with all these like annoying rules uh is probably how some of that played out for her and then because she is a cancer rising her moon is you know conjoined that um saturn and is technically squaring that mars too and so there's a lot of elements of that uh that comes into play for her uh oh also uh for the fact that this deccan is described as having a love of women i think it's interesting how she used her acting career as a uh platform to advocate for women's issues and that's like been a huge thing that she's been into since she was a child so yeah nice um one example that we've used this chart before and i think this is a good example for this one is frida Kahlo has Mm -hmm. her son conjoined to neptune in the 12th house ruling her (gasps) first house and you know frida Kahlo knew how to have fun right like her motto in life was make love take a bath make love again (laughs) so i feel like um 
she it, it, it captures some of just like that three of cups just like but being in the 12th house though and conjoined to neptune and ruling her first house it also did create a lot of problems for her like she'd always been a heavy drinker and then when her and diego rivera got divorced she really it, it became like i think something like I, I can't remember her choice of drink i think it's scotch or something but or cognac mm-hmm. she used to drink a bottle a day and um and she already had just like really we, we talked about this in the whatever previous decan episode that we mentioned her in but like a lot of her health problems already that had existed due to just the ac- accidents um mm-hmm. that she had been through um yeah she just like it, it didn't help that she also just like wasn't unfortunately unfortunately fell into this and didn't take care of herself so mm-hmm. um that was another quick example i had um i also have another one for um so i i, I don't i think we, we like kind of gl- gl- are glazed over this but um jupiter's exaltation point is in this decan at 15 mm-hmm. degrees so i have a good example of that um george harrison from the beatles has his jupiter <laughs> right at 15 degrees and it's funny because he's like you know he's known as the silent beetle he wasn't like the most famous of the four um but um one i think it's really funny because i look then looked at the charts of all the other beetles and i looked up the supposed chart for the band itself and all four like all four of them plus the band chart have prominent cancer placements mm-hmm. and you know one biographer described the beatles as like the beatles spent their lives not living in a communal life but communally living the same life like they were each other's greatest friends and so mm. even though it's four of them that just seems very three of cups to me but back to george harrison's chart so he um his birth time's not confirmed so keep this in mind but it is jupiter it's a slow moving planet he definitely has jupiter at this degree um if the time that was given for him is correct then i have a feeling it is um he had jupiter mm-hmm. retrograde grade in the ninth house ruling his second house and fifth house and one of the big oh, things wow. about george and what kind of it's not the major reason that led to the split but i think what one of the reasons why he was like kind of okay with the band splitting at the end of the day was he was getting really big on hinduism and continued to for the rest mm. of his life and so that jupiter in the ninth house um to me just totally tracks with that yeah no i have a lot of jupiter in that middle deck and examples um just give me a second. So Billie Eilish is one of them. Uh, let me pull up her chart. And let me pull up her bio. Like, I just know that um, she was able to um, have a great singing career. Like, not because she's um, not talented, but I mean, her parents are in the industry. Like... <laughs> So of course she would like um like yeah her parents are like theater like artist people and then they are um like affiliated with uh producers let me see and then like you know like people like her AOC uh AOC actually has like um Jupiter conjunct Chiron in the eighth house and I think it's interesting how we kind of talked about this with her um moon placement in the fifth uh conjoin the IC uh ruling the eighth and her um doing battle with for her um to settle her father's estate when he died um and that being like 
kind of relative related to that placement but i think that because like um jupiter is also ruling the fourth whole sign house and is in the eighth conjoined chiron like there's an element of that that shows up in that placement for aoc and i think for the fact that um jupiter also rules her ascendant and she's decided to make a career in politics she's been trying to like a lot of her purpose is about trying to um i guess enfranchise people especially people who don't have um resources and fighting for like social programs and things like that and just trying to help people make sense of all the red tape um in their lives and i think it's opposite her um saturn because she's a cap saturn hold on let me check let's see yeah on the on the make like trying to get through the red tape stuff like aoc like i mean she said this before like she thrives in bureaucracy like i think a lot of what got her interested in politics in the first place was like even just like trying to figure out just some of or having to get through some of the bureaucracy or like she had to deal with even with her father passing away yeah um hold on da, 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 da. Hold on. Uh, okay, and um, I'm gonna come back to Billie Eilish's um bio because right now it's not. I think other placements are coming up with what's like in the bio. Um, but I mean it's interesting because like she was conceived via IVF. IVF so in vitro fertilization and like I'm just thinking of the um like Jupiter ruling her ascendant and um being in that uh in the fifth house exalted and also um in that like protective sort of like environment and so like in vitro fertilization as opposed to like regular fertilization is just like taking the egg and sperm and making them happen and like a test tube or a petri dish and this is usually used to like help people who are having trouble um conceiving and so i mean that could be one way it shows up like having a literal super safe environment to make sure that um she could actually take in the uterus and eventually be born but um there's a lot of other stuff going on with her bio um do you have any other examples i'm trying to see if i have yeah any. i i just have one more and this is another chart that i've also used before but catherine de medici has her mars <laughs> here and so you were talking earlier about like mars even though mars is in its fall in cancer it this is a uh, cancer two is mars ruled and so it could really afford some just superpowers. And so in her case, um, you know, as I said in a previous episode, she was she became queen of France. So her um, her cancer Mars is in the third her house, but it rules her seventh house and her twelfth house. And so she did gain considerable power from marrying the, you know, who eventually became the king of France. He passes away and he, she ends up ruling mostly through her sons. But 
um, you know, one of the things she's like known for is she like her reign was marred with constant civil and religious war, including the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. And it was really coming from, in her view, right, she really trying to protect the Catholic faith. And so it was a very subjective, this march was very subjectively good for her. Like she was very, mm-hmm. very successful in these wars. And fortunately, it, you know, was not good for the Huguenots or some of the other people she was waging wars against. Yeah, um, I have one final example, and that's um, the Duchess of Cambridge. So she, like her um, husband, is also an eclipse baby, but she's a lunar eclipse in um, Cancer. And she has her moon in this... Um, middle decan of cancer in the 12th house and so a lot so the 12th house can also be like charity and things like that and it's interesting how a lot of her um, charity work does center around things like gardens and parks Mm. and stuff like that Um, she's also had a lot of um, charity work related to uh, mental health issues as well Um, but yeah no mental health matters and um like parks and conservation but also like art and things like that that's been her um her like huge cup of tea and then like you know the moon can talk about like your experience of pregnancy but the moon can also represent your body and if you're a night chart which she is um the moon is also like your sect light and so her sect light is in the 12th conjunct the north node and um she had she had a lot of like hospitalization stuff related to um what's it called her um excessive vomiting during uh pregnancy so she had really severe uh morning sickness and so she had to be um hospitalized wow um yeah so um that's wait let me make sure i don't have any other examples i mean nothing pressing really that i want to talk about but we can move on to cancer three because i feel like that's the that's the fun decan (laughs) the fun decan cancer three so this decan is ruled by the moon and jupiter so um you know the moon's already domiciled in cancer and exalted in jupiter so it's like extra spicy in this decan um austin calls this the overflowing cup and the card associated with this decan is the four of cups which um susan chang calls the lord of luxury and um yeah the the you know it's funny it's so funny because susan chang says that this is the card that she draws the most this is the card i draw the least i don't even think i've drawn it once this year so far and so i i got a lot actually about out of reading this chapter in her book because it's just it's just a card i've just never drawn so i've just never actually really Hold thought on. much i have to, I have to check for myself i actually have like a spreadsheet of cards i've drawn um, oh, i gotta make one I've drawn it a couple times. It's not, like, one of my more frequent draws. Like, ironically, like, the chariot is, like, in the top three. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's an, another one I don't draw very much either. But, yeah, the chariot and the high priestess, because it is a moon real decan, are associated with this one. And, um... Mm-hmm. 
I, I, yeah, I, um, I, I really liked Susan's take on this of, um, well, you know, she, she, she acknowledges that this is kind of a complex card, right? When you look at the Rider Waite artwork, you see a man, there's three cups in front of him. There's like a fourth cup just magically floating in the hair, air in his face. And it's like the look that he has, um, there's just a lot of argument. What is that look? Is it boredom? Is it, is he puzzled? Mm-hmm. Is he thinking about like, is he, is he downtrodden? Like, what, what is it? But appearance wise, he doesn't look downtrodden at all. Um, you know, Susan actually has like a few interpretations that she goes into in this chapter, but um, there is like a feeling of just like, or one is just like that maybe there's some restlessness mm-hmm. or some boredom here of like, okay, I I have everything now, now what? And so I think, um, I think even I mean Austin calls this one the overflowing cup too. So there is just kind of this feeling with this with this card or this deck in of just like and it's Moon and Jupiter who ruled too. So it's like okay, oh yeah, you got everything. Whoa, now what? <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, like I really like Austin's depiction of this, especially because he describes like you know like questions of generosity and like equity, and so like I find that in some of the examples that I have, like people who described or like a lot of their life was centered on matters of um, talking about who has and who doesn't. Mm. Uh, and this is another one, like moon Jupiter uh, decans also a lot of times have to do with like sustenance and appetite as mm-hmm. we kind of saw with like, um, I think it was Pisces too. Uh, there's elements of like, you know, who are, how do we sustain ourselves? And like, there are elements of like nurturing because you know the moon and jupiter are planets that want to provide sustenance because they're very wet planets um and they want things to flow together and like connect and when things are flowing together there's almost like an exchange that happens uh i think it's interesting that the imagery of this decan has a lot of things related to like cruel nobles like leading dogs on a hunt or just like there's like this imagery of like people owning dogs or people like going on hunts which is interesting for the fact that like the moon and jupiter um both rule the second because those are not very like hunting like planets at all um so there's almost this like emphasis on hunger in terms of who has and who doesn't Mm. uh and then uh austin does say that planets in the sign that um rule houses that have to do with other people for you can talk about like the types of people that bring like either excess or like the problems of excess into your life. Um, and then I did like Susan Chang's um, uh, refusing the call uh, characterization of this card. And there's this element of the cycle between desire, scarcity, and then eventual boredom. Cause it's like, okay, as you were saying, um, once you have it all, like what do you do next? But then I really liked her comparison of this card to the awakening under the Bodhi tree. So like this is the card that follows the um three of cups, which has to do with like the walled garden where you're protected, everything's provided for. And if you know the myth of the um Buddha is that he was this person who um lived a life of relative luxury and comfort. And then around the time he turned 29, so i.e. his Saturn return. <laughs> he finally ventured out into the world out of his safe bubble where he had everything. And he was made aware of the suffering and uh, disparities of other people. And so 
he made it his mission to end suffering. And I think that um, just the connotations between like meditating on desire and um, trying to detach yourself from that is something that could be associated with this card. And I feel like that's something that doesn't get talked about enough. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a really um, good point. It's, it's, I love this deck in. <laughs> I like it. I mean, I, 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 reading about it, like, really made, like, me, <laughs> um, just, I, I fell asleep, like, thinking about this deck in last night. <laughs> And I, I felt like I was even just like dreaming about it, like throughout the mm-hmm. night, um, just dreaming or just, just a lot. Yeah, just a lot of these thoughts of just like, yeah, it really could go either direction, right? Like, let's say like you've hit this point where it's like, okay, you got the thing you wanted, you, you know, you've got that abundance. Um, there are various directions you could go from here. Like one is like mm-hmm. you, the boredom sets in and you still don't feel satiated. And then you mm-hmm. just got kind of deal with like, okay, what the what next? Um there's also you just kind of sit in the comfortability and then you just get comfortable perhaps even sometimes too comfortable and you don't like explore any further um Mm -hmm. or there's a feeling of like it's still not enough and you just want to keep going and you want to just like kind of like just grow even more and so um yeah 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 no another thing i like is that um how she brought in the fact that uh various cultures around the world have like turtle like metaphors or myths for describing the universe and like a turtle's like another shelled animal but like in um various like ancient cultures around the world where like turtles like were animals that were in existence there like they kind of saw it as um like symbolic of like an encased um universe sort of where everything everything existed right it's like okay everything that needs to be here is here and um I think of how turtles are also very slow moving long living animals right and there's like a slowness to this particular decan because on the one hand you can get like really complacent or lazy or um comfortable when you have excess to deal with but then it's also like that knowing that um, kind of this like self-sustaining, enduring, just because of the endurance of turtles, they live like a very long time. Um, like certain uh, breeds of turtles live a very long time. So just thinking of like the ex- there's like something existential almost about this Deccan <laughs> that I think is uh, like slept on. Yes. Um, Let's see, I can read descriptions and then we can do examples. Okay. So, Ibn Ezra says that this is a man whose foot resembles that of an animal and on his body there is an animal and he intends to enter a ship to go to sea and bring gold and silver to make rings for his wives. The Picatrix says a selhav or like a turtle uh, and he holds a serpent in his hand holding before him golden chains. And this is a face of running, riding, and acquiring in war, in strife, and in con- contrariety. Um, Agrippa says, In the third face ascendeth a man, a hunter, with his lance and horn, bringing out dogs for hunt. The signification of this is the contention of men, pursuing of those who fly, the hunting and possessing of things by arms and brawlings. Um... And then uh, 
the Yavana Jataka says the third decanate in the fourth sign is set down as a woman who is of the color of a dark blue lotus and is pleasing to the eyes. Her upper garment is of silk and adorned with bright jewelry. She is barren, but puffed up with pride in her beauty. Um, yeah, so, like, there's this, like, kind of underlying, like, closed mouths, don't get fed kind of energy mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Which is, I'm thinking of my own, uh, my grandfather, who has, uh, he has a 12th house, uh, Cancer Jupiter, uh, in this deck in. And that's very much his um, his outlook on life, like one hundred percent his outlook on life. <laughs> um, especially with some of the stuff he's um, been through, because uh, he's been through a lot. Uh, and I think it trines his. Um... Actually, let me pull up his chart and let me stop being stupid. <laughs> um, give me two seconds. Because it trines his, uh, there's a lot of planets in his Scorpio fourth house that, um, yeah, it trines his Venus in, um, in the fourth. And just thinking about, like, how kind of some of his salvation, um, from his, like, because he's someone who's struggled with addiction in the past. Mm. Uh, and Jupiter does rule his fifth house, it's conjunct Uranus. And, um, it's just amazing how he's um like turned his life around and he's become like a really like he's a huge softy and he's like a big family man but like you know he was a different person before his saturn return and so mm. like yeah his jupiter opposes his capricorn moon and it's um trying his uh venus in the fourth house and so uh just with venus ruling his midheaven too it's like um his family has just kind of been like a pillar of strength that he's like used to just kind of I guess dig himself out of some of those difficult things but then maybe like I think when he was younger he engaged in some of that because there was this need to have like comfort there was this need to have luxury and you know when you you know you're growing up poor in a mostly like racist but barely like starting to integrate society like you know you do what you have to do right mm-hmm. um yeah <laughs> and then i have the lot of eros in this deck in and i'm hmm. still trying to figure out like what that means but ever since i opened my relationship and i I was like, okay, I just want to date all the time. I want to date people, and I just want to meet people. And then now I'm just, like, oversaturated. And <laughs> it's... I, I'm, like, torn between wanting to get back out there, but also, like, enjoying, like, whatever. So I'm still trying to figure out what that means for me, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the examples I have, I'm just trying to decide which one do I want to start with. Um, Okay, so Isabella Deste, who's considered like the ultimate renaissance woman, she, there's some theory that she might be the woman in the Mona Lisa, but Mm. she, um, she has her moon here in this decade in the seventh house, and she has Saturn and Mercury in Cancer 1. Um, Mm -hmm. 
but yeah, it, it's in her seventh house, and you know they say that she really she came to actual like literal power, but as as well as even just like I think I, I think even found her just like own power in herself as soon as she got married. Um, her marriage was overall like I, she she did like her and her husband loved each other, but again, you know he he also had many affairs um, and just like constantly was going to prostitutes. But I think overall they like con- con- um, considering what the bar was for Renaissance marriage, theirs was considered a love marriage. It was considered one that was like very good. But I think the thing she ultimately got out of it was like she came into her own power. Like she started like really kind of living her life, becoming this huge patron of the arts. Um, she was considered just very powerful, very beautiful. And um, I I really think um, she can just she just shows like 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 this is a very strong moon and i think it's just like this is the, she definitely embodies a lot of them like more than enough like she definitely mm-hmm. had a very abundant <laughs> plentiful life yeah uh i have another um 12th house jupiter example uh and that is martin scorsese uh mm-hmm. who's a very well decorated um uh, film uh, producer or writer, director, whatever. Uh, my brain does not work. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I think it's interesting because this Jupiter shows up in terms of like, because it rules his fifth house and he developed his love of film uh, because when he was a child, he was really sickly. And so he couldn't really do a lot of other things that kids would do like play like sports and things like that so his brother would take him to um theater a lot and so that's how he cultivated his um love of film and um he befriended a lot of like big heavy hitter um movie producers in the 70s uh and a lot of them introduced him to like actors who he would like star in a lot of his movies and what's interesting is a lot of his films would depict like kind of like machismo type things violence gore um and he had a lot of um like i guess it was also somewhat inspired by like narratives around like you know the italian-american experience like at various like at various points of his career but he really liked that gritty hard like um go-getter sort of mentality in terms of his like um film director and you'll see that in like a lot of his films like and the types of things he likes to write about which is not surprising because he's also like a Scorpio stellium so (laughs) uh we'll talk about him during um the Scorpio Deccans episode because he has so much in Scorpio um yeah uh do you have another example you want to share I'm just like yeah I have another Jupiter. I have a couple of Jupiter ones but the um one is Robert Hand the astrologer has Jupiter, yeah, he has Jupiter retrograde in the first house in this Deccan ruling oh, his ninth astrology house. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, astrology it rules Jesus. His, it rules his ninth house and his sixth house. And um, yeah, I don't know too much about Robert Hand's personal life, so I won't be able to talk about that part of it. But in terms of his work as an astrologer, the thing he's most known for is these really 
comprehensive reference type books right like planets and transit or planets and com like in composite charts mm-hmm. and i which i i own both <laughs> and so um i think that just screams like his jupiter and being in this jupiter ruled decan right of just being able to just catalog all this information it's so freaking useful and it just all rules his ninth house and his sixth house so um his work as well as just yeah the the, the astrology being in the ninth house stuff so yeah um so i have another example who's also a leo rising with this 12th house jupiter um situation and that's frida kahlo she has her jupiter literally on rahu in this decan um and in its own terms which is like even better and so i mean some of this does speak to um her mm, i guess her substance abuse stuff just because of like needing that to escape from the difficulties of being partnered to someone like diego but then also i think that um she's somebody who is also like uh queer so she's bisexual and i feel like um like the relationship between Saturn and Jupiter just in this chart is that yes, like Saturn receives Jupiter, but it's almost like, I think this was him taking her affairs with men more seriously, but also like being insulted that like she would have these affairs with women. Like it it offended him for some reason. And, um, but I think this is equally uh, indicative of her, um, using like art to depict like matters of uh trauma or like events that happened before like her birth so something that she depicts a lot in her art is um aspects of uh i guess mexican culture that are influenced by indigenous people though i've seen in recent years like a critique of frida's use of um indigenous culture in um in her art just because she is like a um she is a mestiza uh middle class person who is like taking on elements of uh indigenous cultures that she might not have had any connection to but like the people who were like attending to her as a child had connection to and so you can see like how that can be problematic really quickly um but those are just um things to think of she didn't have any children did she i don't think so i don't think so yeah no i don't think she had any children no i don't think so yeah and then i also think that some of that like jupiter is like okay well i have nothing to do like because you know the um four of um cups is also about boredom because that was Mm -hmm. talked about a lot and it's just like oh i already have this i don't want it right and so she some of that could also be like her um like her like using like the free time she had to just create art and she got um great acclaim for it but i think also um Uh, after her death like yes she was a respected artist while she was alive but like she got really popular there was a time where she was really popular especially after she passed away um Mm -hmm. so i think like that 
fifth house ruler being exalted in the 12th conjunct Rahu is like, you know, posthumously like her um, achieving this level of acclaim through her art. Um, yeah. Um, um, yeah, the the other example that I have is Ovin Diesel, whose mom is an astrologer. <laughs> he has his son in this decan in the ninth house and it rules his 10th house leo and where his jupiter is but i so here's like vin diesel got famous because when he or he started getting to acting anyway not famous famous but he started getting to acting because when he was a kid his him and his brother and like a few of the neighborhood kids in new york city um were born i i I, I don't know the exact circumstances under like what got them to do this, but I assume like, look, there are a bunch of kids and they wanted to break into a theater to vandalize it. And I don't think it was like, Oh fuck this theater. I think they were probably born. <laughs> and um, so they decided to do something illegal and the ninth house is about laws and stuff. Right. They got caught. They got caught by the theater director and the theater director was like, I'm not going to call the police. If you guys decide to act in my next children's play. <laughs> And so they were like, you know, they were like, fine. And yeah, Vin Diesel got really into acting from that. And and now, you know, that, yeah, that same Cancer Sun in the Ninth House rules his 10th house of career. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was my, um, I had that example. I, I do have one more example. I don't know if I'm going to share it, but do you have anything else? I have a couple. Uh, I mean, you can go. I'm still trying to like figure out which ones. Um, yeah i think um, my last one was i was trying to think about like a, a malefic that's in this decan and um queen elizabeth the first of england had her saturn here in her oh, seventh did. house ruling her first house and her second house and in this decan and um you know she's known like and she was known then to this day as the virgin queen right she never ever married and i <laughs> And so that is interesting seeing that Saturn in the seventh house, right? And um, I think there's a lot of argument to be made that she greatly benefited from not ever getting married. Mm-hmm, she, um, sure did. she sure fucking did. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I I thought even though like Saturn is in its detriment here, um, it does seem like that did work out her i have to look at the rest of her chart to see if there's any other aspects going on in there but yeah that was my last example hold on i have a couple uh they're gonna be quick though um oh sorry my nose um let's see uh i mean so uh tony morrison is one of my examples she actually has like mars anoretic and I think it's retrograde. Let me double check. Uh, Tony Morrison. I believe it's retrograde. Yes, I'm correct. It's retrograde. Oh, she's also a good uh, Jupiter in uh, Cancer 2 example. And I think that, again, also, because she has that um, Moon-Jupiter mutual reception, just to speak on that real quick, like, I remember in the Pisces episode, we talked a lot about her... um, networking with a lot of people and excuse me um helping uh people to become aware of 
uh, literature in the African diaspora, which was like pretty influential. Uh, but also she taught this like some like pretty important writing workshop courses at like a particular university. And one of our chart examples of what was her name? Uh, Mackenzie Scott, Jeff Bezos, ex-wife actually was like one of her students, which is like a weird full circle thing. Uh, anyway, so Toni Morrison also has um, Mars in the third decan of cancer in her third house. Uh, and I think that this describes some of her uh, relationship to like her writing style and just things that she liked to write about. So something that she uh, talked about in interviews and writing a lot was um, racial inequality. And um, I guess that's something that she weaves into her narratives along with talking about um, just African-American uh, uh, folklore. And then... Um, she, uh, when she went off to university and she was um, studying, she um, encountered uh, segregation for the first time in her life. Uh, and then I'm trying to think. Da, 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 da. And it wasn't until after she like left her spouse, I guess, that she actually started like writing more regularly. Um Da, da, da. let me think uh, da, 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 da. another example I have of a malefic is Karl Marx and again in his uh, literature and work he explores the inequities when it comes to labor uh, and it's what he's known for since uh, Mars rules his 10th whole sign house and it's in his 6th uh, and I think for the fact that Mars is uh, rejoicing there is that some of his ideas uh, gained a lot of traction, especially like later in life. But, um, you know, even while he was publishing, uh, a lot of what he was writing was contentious and a lot of people didn't really agree with it and took major issue um, with uh, what he was writing. Uh, da, da, da. And then my last example... Yeah, I guess this will be my last example for now because I don't want to talk about Donald Trump. <laughs> 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 Who has that Saturn-Venus conjunction. And we all know what that... I, I, all I will say about Donald Trump was I'm referencing my um, my prediction that I made because he was in a third house perfection year. And so what you can do with perfections is that uh, the whole chart basically rotates. And so... You can find when, like, lots, houses, angles will meet their rulers, right? And um, his 10th uh, house uh, perfected to the uh, Cancer 12th, which is where his midheaven ruler is, which is conjunct Saturn. And so that to me was pretty much like, I don't think this dude is getting elected again. It, like, 12th house, ruler of the 10th and the 12th is, has big, like resignation or leaving post energy mm. and um i mean saturn ruling his um sixth house but also his um what's it called his seventh house like the seventh house can also be other people and like legal disputes and so i mean the dude got impeached again which wasn't surprising, but because Saturn's in its joy, um, 
I feel like that protected him, kind of. Yeah. And I think it's just like his protection came through removing him from his post. And so now there's this, I'm no longer leader of the quote unquote free world. And, um, you know, it's like, what do I do now? And so now he's trying hard to, um, I guess, rebuild his base or something and maybe like start like a new social media platform or empire. It's something he's working on or he was working on (laughs) or claiming to work on. And I think also that Saturn conjunct the third house ruler, which was also Venus, who was active too. So it was like double whammy Venus, like him getting kicked off of social media and him having nothing to do. (laughs) I I think that's what that was. Um, And then my last example is uh, Kris Jenner. Uh, she has her moon in this Deccan in her 11th whole sign house. And I mean, she's known as being a momager and she has this condition in her <laughs> chart, which is where a planet is said to be in highs or highs, which is uh, a planet that is insect in, I think, three conditions. So it has to be, say you're a night chart, you want your planets to be... Um, above the horizon in the night chart, which she has. The moon is above the horizon in a night chart. Um, she has a night chart with like a moon in a sign that agrees with its sect and uh, something else. So she has like, her moon is very overpowered. Um, and her moon is actually, I think it's trying, just give me two seconds. Her moon is trining uh, a particular... Yes, so her moon is separating from its trine to Saturn, which rules her fifth house and lot of fortune. And then it's uh, trine her... It's applying to trine with her Venus. And so I think it's really telling that, like, she's been able to build a huge media empire off of, like, um, her children. (laughs) I don't know how else to put that. Like, she's been able to build a huge media empire off of her children. And, you know, she's, like, the embodiment of um, luxury and having too much time on your hands. Like, (laughs) and making calculated decisions to, like, keep that going. There's very much that, like, closed mouths don't get fed. Oh, and then one more example, which is just um, Megan, the Duchess of Sussex. She has her ascendant in this Deccan and like the dog imagery just made me think of like the fact that she's always had dogs like mm. like something about dogs in that Deccan is very um loud and again like the whole going getting on a ship far away to like get rings for like a spouse it's just like okay she moved her spouse somewhere else so that they could make more money like that that's something that literally happened so um yeah that that's all i have to say about that <laughs> cool i think that wraps it up then yeah yeah well we'll be back for the leo Deccans in a month from now but i think that's all i got Nope, that's all I've got too. And this was uh, really fun. Hope everybody enjoys their cancer season. Yes. Uh, yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, Mo. Thanks. Bye.